0: As you find the book of James, again, I, I, there's always, oh, by the way, part of me always winces when I say find the book of James. It winces not because the book of James contains some uh, commands that make us uh, uncomfortable, and that whole part of faith without works is dead, and, you know, the part about the tongue and, ugh. The reason why I wince when I say turn the book of James is back 10 years ago when I was doing junior high ministry, the first book of the Bible that I taught through was the book of James, and uh, great is the reward, the reward in heaven for those students who were able to forbear that. Um, and so going to the book of James always is a little painful for me. Uh, the book of James chapter 1, and we're only reading one verse tonight, um, which is unusual. This is a topic, more topical, and it's based out of the verse of James 1 verse 17. This is God's word. Every good and every good gift... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It was uh, Alistair Begg, I think we all know that, that name. Uh, Alistair Begg, he, he's a faithful, excellent expositor of God's word. And he gave this, it's one of my favorite stories that he's told, or at least I've heard him tell. He was, um, he had a Sunday off. And so he went to a random church in California, and I think he walked in, and already a little bit uh, off-put, maybe I think the, the methodology of the church probably didn't line up with the methodology of his church, or the church that he's pastors, and, but as he went into worship, uh, the, the worship pastor comes out, and maybe this is the call to worship, I don't know, uh, but, but the worship pastor comes out and, and to um, address, the first words to address the congregation as they are gathered uh, for the corporate worship, the corporate gathering of worship of, of our God, the worship leader comes out and the first words out of his mouth is, hey, how y'all feel this morning? Alistair Begg said, well, my goodness, you could have just pronounced the benediction right there. I mean, that's all I needed. Um, And then the anger and the fury that, he almost goes off the cuff when he starts talking. Don't ask me how I feel, how I feel, how I feel. It's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm barely awake. I miss my quiet time. I spilled coffee on myself. I had an argument with my wife on the way over here. I kicked the dog. I don't even have a dog. How do I feel? I feel rotten. Don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. Ask me what I know. Let's sing songs about things that remind us, true things, remind us about true things about our God. Ask me what I know to get the attention and the focus off of myself and onto Christ. I tell you that that story only to tell you that that's the direction of tonight, that's the goal of tonight. Not to talk about how do you feel. I want to talk about what do you know. To remind you of what, what we know. Um, there's nothing new tonight. This is simply a reminder, and I think a needed, remi- a needed reminder, a timely reminder. Because if I was to ask you, how do you feel? out of any time of the year it seems like this would be the time of the year that we would have the most anxiety fear uneasiness nervousness anger sure we're 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 months deep into a pandemic where we're taking it too serious or we're not taking it serious enough and everywhere in between or we love the mask we hate the mask and everything in between but <laughs> We are less than a week away from a pretty massive event in the life of our country. And every election is the most important election of our lifetime, they tell us. But there's something about this election that, that does make us maybe a little bit more uneasy. And maybe you've walked in this room wondering, if the Lord allows us to live and does not come back, what, what will our nation look like a week from now? What direction will we we be headed in? Will there be riots? Will we be on the brink of a civil war breaking out? What is it going to look like? And from talking to y'all and reading some emails that get exchanged, this is a time of uneasiness, of anxiousness. And we need to be reminded of, what we know. By the way, that's just national stuff. We haven't even gotten to things like how do you feel about your marriage? How do you feel about your children, your jobs? How does it feel? How, how do you feel in your personal life, it, being as a single adult, trying to live life in the middle of a pandemic? We need to be reminded more than ever of what we know. You know, for those who are of us who are anxious, I mean, we know, we know things. You know, we, it's the, the, the verse that we give to our children when they're afraid of the dark. Hey, Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. But trust is not something we just throw around willy-nilly. Trust is something that's got to be earned. Trust comes from me knowing somebody, knowing their character, knowing that they have proven themselves to be trustworthy. And again, tonight, all I want to do is look away from ourselves and look and ask ourselves, what do we know? Remind ourselves of what we know, not talk about the, how do we feel about the election? How do we feel about the pandemic? How do we feel about our lives? What do we know about our God? And there's one aspect that I want to point out that I think is very, very important from this verse. It says, every good gift, every perfect gift... We we're talking about the goodness of God is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Father of lights is kind of a tricky uh, um, name of God or description of God because it's not found anywhere else. You know, we know that the, the God is light in him, there is no darkness at all, but we also know that, that God is the creator of light. God said, let there be light. He spoke and light came. But the reason I love this, but but James is making a a very clear distinction and contrast between the creator and the creation when he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Um, When we think about variations, And we think about the lights, the the worldly lights. We think about, you know, the shifting shadows of the day as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, how the shadows shift minute by minute, how cloud cover or how it goes from day to night. I mean, the shadows are always shifting, always changing. And James is saying there's a massive, massive difference, a massive distinction between the creator and the creation. The creation is always changing. The creator never changes. This right here is a proof text of the immutability of God. Now, you didn't hear me say the immobility of God. Uh, God is not stagnant. God is very active. But the immutability of God, the fact that God does not change. Um, and there's hundreds, hundreds of verses we can go to prove this. But the reason why, why we, I chose James is because I love walking out and seeing shadows, seeing shifting shadows and being reminded that there is no variation, there is no shifting shadows with our God. Because our God does not change, we can call him a rock. And as the tide of life switches and swings and pulls, as the variation of waves crash upon us, There is a solid rock which we can plant our feet upon. An unchanging, solid rock and fortress and refuge. And all those things are true because of this doctrine of the immutability of our God. We could tease this out many different ways. But I'm just going to put it under two headings tonight. As we tease out this reality of our God does not change and again we're just reminding ourselves of what we already know this is not new but we need to know this and remind ourselves of this one thing that we could say under this heading of god never changes that god never changes in his essence in his character or in his attributes aw pink says he cannot change for the better for he is already perfect and being perfect he cannot change for the worse Altogether, unaffected by anything outside himself. Improvement or deterioration is impossible. It is impossible for God to increase or decrease. It is un- impossible for God to grow <laughs> in knowledge or in wisdom or in ability. It's, in God, and it's impossible for God to change in his attributes. God is simply not like us. God is, he is being with a capital B. He is not becoming. When God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he says, go to Pharaoh and tell them, I am sent you. The unchanging God from everlasting to everlasting. His attributes do not fluctuate or waver. He does not love us more yesterday than he does today. And that's pretty surprising because my performance changes a little bit day to day. His wrath that's that's provoked by our sin is not, does not change from one day to the next. It's not greater one day compared to the other day. His faithfulness to his promises do not change from one day to the next. His power, his wisdom are unchanging. And this, this should greatly affect our prayer lives, I would imagine. The problem is I think we, we, we can see God like we see almost, our, we, we remind ourselves of what it was like to grow up with our own parents. And we knew that there was times that to make a request and times simply you could not make a request dad or mom's in a bad mood or you just didn't have a good day no you're not allowed to ask for that because you did not do x y and z or with our bosses we know there's a certain time we can have conversations and certain times we better just hold on to that thought save it for another day because we change our moods change But we're not dealing with happy God, angry God, grumpy God, sweet God, moody God, good mood God. We're dealing with the unchangeable God. Um, Because his essence and his attributes are unchangeable, he is dependable unlike anyone else in our lives. You know, we... (laughs) We all walk in here with, with. And you can think back in your life when you're like, man, I, those, I had a group of friends that I swore I knew would be with me to the day I died. And then something happens. Not just growing apart, but something maybe happens. Uh, shots are fired, bullets are starting to fly, and, and, and what happens? They, they run. We have preachers that we think so highly of, and then a new new wind of, of, of um, falsehood and and, and, and um, attack against the Scripture comes, and we find them not to be so trustworthy anymore. But Paul, God is unchanging. Uncha- it was Paul in, in 2 Timothy, he's writing to his, his beloved friend and student, and at the, he's at the end of his life. And at the end of his life, Paul is telling Timothy, you can almost see he's, he's a little bit lonely. <laughs> he's a little bit saddened. He's a little bit disappointed. And he needs you, it needs Timothy, hey, also bring me a coat because it's going to be cold, I think, and I need that coat. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy, do your best to come see me soon. But then we see in verse 16, Paul then goes on to talk about all the people, his co laborers, his friends, who have simply abandoned him when he needed the most. And then we get to verse verse 16. He says, At my first defense, no one came to to stand by me, but all deserted me may not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. All had failed, all had left, but God showed up. Because of the doctrine of the immutability of God, this doctrine gives us hope in the darkest dungeons of life. Isolated in those dark dungeons all by ourselves, Our hope is this unchanging God. Even for those who come in here with self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted wounds that have ruined family relationships, ruined friendships, and you're like, I I know the cause right here. But if we have enough time that passes by, every single one of us can stand up here and give testimony to the fact that God was there. God was unchanging in his faithfulness to us. I read a story uh, a few years back. It was written by a mom who had three kids. And on one day, the youngest of the three kids, they, uh, she fell back, uh, back um, off her chair. Her head hits the hardwood floor really, really hard. Um, the mom, I Think, if I get the details right, somehow, somehow so, some sort of medical background where she was able to uh, watch and observe the kid, but she could tell, okay, I don't think there's anything too bad here. No need to go to the um, emergency room. Three days pass. Um, she takes this girl in for her normal doctor's appointment, doctor checkup, tells the doctor about the story. The doctor said, oh, well, we probably should run an x-ray, runs an x-ray, uh, It's found out that this, this girl has a, a skull fracture. They hurry up and do more tests, uh, and, and, and to, I mean, good news, there was no further complications. And so on the whole way home, this mom is just blessing God. God, thank you for sparing my daughter. I mean, this could have been so much worse. Yes, a skull fracture is serious, but this is going to be okay. She's going to heal. It wasn't anything bad. There's no permanent damage. Thank you, God. A week goes by, and uh, child protective services show up. They need to do, do a, perform an investigation because uh, there's been a report of serious child abuse. For this mom with three kids, you can imagine the horror. Wait a minute, I have three kids. I've never, there's, never been, there's never been a report of abuse. There's never been anything that would bring this kind of investigation on. But sure enough, she, what she found was her family ripped apart for nine months. She writes about that first night away from her children. And the weeping, and the anger, and the confusion. And she, she writes, I think, very eloquent, eloquently what life was like in those nine months. With the only way they can see their kids is under supervision. She wrote about the highs, she wrote about the lows. There were some days she felt strong, some days she crumbled. Some days her faith felt solid. Another day she's crying out to God in anger and confusion. And it could change by the moment. One hour, good. Next hour, not good. But what stood out to me as I read this was the way she articulated that she came to peace. She, was, she became okay. She gave herself room and grace to almost... Russell with this spiritual schizophrenia going on within her. She gave herself space to do that, to go from highs to lows. And the reason why is because even though she fluctuated and changed moment by moment, she was praying and relying on a God who never changed, who was not fluctuating with her. And therefore, even though her circumstances were a mess and her circumstances had changed, God had not changed. And therefore, it gave her freedom. It gave her grace. It gave her the ability to be a frail, fallen human being. Crying out to God. Riding the high going from highs to lows. She was eventually vindicated, but I love I love that little insight. It was okay for me to be high and low, because my God never changed. Not only do we see that, the, that God's essence, his character, his attributes never change, but the plan and the purpose of God is unchanging. We know this. <laughs> we know this. We need to be reminded of this. You know, when we say that the purpose and plan of God is unchanging, it's very comforting to know that God is not in heaven saying, oh, yikes, <laughs> like, how do we work this one out? There is a fixed, established, immutable, eternal purpose and plan of God. And we might ask ourselves the question of, what, where, where's this whole thing going? What's the end? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the end goal of all this, 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 this grand, fixed plan of God? Where's all this leading? Um, we are here at this church, a um, we, we value the five solas. When we, when we think about the ultimate end, we've got this great, grand, unchanging plan of God and the ultimate end, the ultimate goal, when we think about what is that? The last of the solas, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone, it's, it's defined like this. The ultimate end of all God's work in creation and redemption is his own glory alone. The ultimate end. We have this fixed, immutable, eternal plan. The ultimate end of all of God's work in creation and redemption. It's his glory alone. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which I, I think is, a, is just wonderful. I, I, it's kind of like a, the moon. It, it reflects beautiful light of truth from Scripture. And, uh, and it says this. This is, this is some lofty language of God. There is but One, only, living, and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, and most pure in spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working, here we go, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory." That does not change his own immutable, righteous will. Working all these things together for his own glory. And the reason why we need to remember that is because, you know, I don't know what your news source is. Mine is Twitter. And that is where you get the best information, of course. And you know I'm joking. Um, but Twitter is just a very, very dark and, and depressing place to go. And... Uh, <laughs> And you know, it just, life feels at times very random. And at times, like the times we're living, it feels very out of control. Evil seems to be swallowing up good. I mean, we have lost our minds. We have absolutely lost our minds. And with so much anger and so much hostility, it's easy just to get our vision blurred and, and, and blurred with, what is this? The anger, the chaos, the craziness. Um, so this is me. I read this in my, my personal time with the Lord, and this is me literally trying to force it into something I had to say tonight. Like, I was like, I gotta say this somewhere. I read this a couple weeks ago. I was like, I, I cannot just sit on this for more than a week. I was reading Psalm 76 and in verse 10 and you should mark it and, and and it's it says this surely the wrath of man shall praise you the remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt surely the wrath of man shall praise you the while there's now it's, you, you can't be 100% certain why this psalm or what was this psalm written as a reflection of. But we're pretty sure we know what this psalm was written in a reflection of. This psalm was, re- when this psalm was written, the psalmist was reflecting on one of the greatest deliverances of God that we find in the Old Testament. At least we think. It's kind of, the wording in the psalm kind of matches up. The, the, the situation was Sadaqarib, the king of Assyria, uh, who at the time was the most powerful nation that had the most powerful army in the entire world, had his sights set on Jerusalem. I mean, breathing fire on its borders, threatening to destroy it, threatening the king. If you do not yield, if you do not submit, if you do not uh, pay tribute, there's going to be serious consequences. And, and the, king, the king of Assyria sends a letter to uh, King Hezekiah, who's a good king, sends a, a letter to him saying, saying do, do not be deceived by your God. Don't, do not be deceived by your God. You have no chance. Look at our army. Look at the, our weaponry. Look at our skills of war. Look at all the nations we have conquered. And look with their gods, how impotent they were in the face of our army. I mean, look with your eyes. Listen with your ears. What do you see? Use your logic. Use your reason. Don't be deceived by your God. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Hezekiah takes the letter to the temple of God, puts it before God in prays. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, says that he will deliver his people. And that night, the angel of the Lord came and slew A hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrians. King, the king of Assyria wakes up, sees the dead bodies, packs up, heads back to Nineveh where he will find his own death awaiting him soon. And as the psalmist reflects on that event, he writes, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. All, the king, all this taunting and mockery of God in a very open way. What's going on here in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this wicked man inflicting fear on the people of God? What we have here is an occasion where we see that, that the wrath of man, the, some of the worst man, when it comes to opposi- opposition to God, was made an occasion for God to display his glory. Kind of reminds us of another event, does it not? Uh, we have this book for sale in the book nook, which, I mean, we are selling about a book a year over there. And uh, so, slow down. Um, in this book of John Piper, it's called uh, "Spectacular Spectacular Sins." He writes, "This is just an introduction, so you can imagine the rest of the book is pretty pretty good." He says, at the, at the all-important pivot of human history, the worst sin ever committed served to show the greatest glory of Christ. God did not just overcome evil at the cross. He made evil serve the overcoming of evil. The apex of evil achieved the apex of the glory of Christ. There is a fixed, established, immutable, eternal purpose and plan of God. And the ends and the goal of that is his own glory. And in the wickedness that we see amongst us, and the mockery of our God that we see on a daily basis, where is it going and what is God doing? Well, his purposes have never, never changed from everlasting to Everlasting. Even, surely, even the wrath of man will praise God. Sometimes there's simply the only application we can make is behold your God. Behold your God. Who is like him? Who is able to do what he does? Take the wickedness and vileness of man and flip it to display His glory. So I don't know what's going to become of our, of our nation next week. I don't know. I don't know what's going to become of your own life in the next coming week. What, what sorrow, what joy awaits us? Man, life can feel so chaotic and so random. But here's what I do know. When I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And the reason I trust in you is because we worship a God who is unchanging in his character, his attributes, his essence, his purpose, his plan. And therefore, brothers and sisters, In the middle of the waves of the storm, there's a solid, constant, steady, dependable rock in which we can stand. We serve and worship a God with whom there is no variation and no shadow due to change. Would that encourage us in the coming week? Um Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you. Um, we do praise you for who you are. And Father, would you take these um, these words that feel so puny, my words that feel so puny and small and um, would you take them and would you would, would they would would you use them to encourage and instruct us, your people. Um, we thank you and praise you that you do not change. You are our rock, our fortress, and our refuge. And Father, for those who come in here with, um, with life, life is just a mess, would they find, would they find peace in, in, this, in this truth? And Father, we do pray for our country. We know and we rest in your plan your unchanging plan, Um, but we do ask for mercy on our nation um, as we head into this coming week. Use your church um, uh, to to bring you glory. We love you, Father, and we ask for all this in your Son's name. Amen. So apparently, I think there's dessert unless Dr. Young took that with him, (laughs) which you never could put past him, right? But I think we have dessert, but uh, thank you all for being here tonight. Dr. Young will be the doctor.